The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and we have a fantastic guest for you today. Before I introduce our guest, I would like to offer a little technology tip to a few of you out there. Um, if you're listening to the podcast on your phone, we've had a few people say, you sound like the chipmunks. Uh, both Ian and I can talk fast at times, but that is not what's happening on your phone. I'll tell you what's happening. If you're on your podcast app in your phone and you're looking at the screen, you go down the screen, you can see the play button, you, see, you can see the, the circle to the left with a little 15 and the circle to the right with the 15, but below that, the volume bar. Down to the left, the bottom left of your screen, you'll see a number with an X, one X or one and a half X or two X or one half X. So what that is, is that is the speed at which you will be hearing the podcast. It's there for your convenience to speed up or slow down the speed of the podcast. So if you are hearing Ian and he sounds like the chipmunks, you've probably inadvertently hit that button. All right, on with our show. As I said, we have a fantastic guest today, Mark Scandrett. You've probably heard of him. He is an author, teacher, activist, and coach for leaders and teams who want to create a better world from the inside out. He's written five books on practical spirituality that seek to apply spiritual wisdom to everyday life. Before each book is published, he usually spends several years piloting the concepts and processes explored with the books in multiple contexts, and you'll get that from this episode today. He speaks nationally and internationally at universities, conferences, and churches, and offers training to leaders and organizations through workshops, retreats, and group intensives. And Mark teaches a doctoral course on spiritual formation at Fuller Theological Seminary. And the list goes on and on and on. But I will not go on and on and on because you have tuned in to hear the conversation that Ian has with Mark. So without any further ado, here is the host of our show, Ian Cron. Mark Skandret, welcome to Typology, friend. Great to be with you, Ian. Okay, so let's uh, let's get right down to it. Uh, when did we first meet? The story is too good not to be told. Well, as I remember it, it was on a boat headed to a private island in the Bahamas. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> and we were down there. It was supposed to be a big event, but um, no one signed up for it. So it was just us. Like... <laughs> <laughs> And I think uh, I think day one we went we went um, we went snorkeling with NT Wright. That was the first right. thing. Mm-hmm. And then it just that got, wasn't bad. No, that wasn't bad. Just got better from there. Yeah. What I remember of that uh, retreat co- conference, whatever debacle, however we want to put it, was uh, we got stuck on the island in a hurricane. Oh, that's right. 
Do you remember that? Yeah. And okay, and so we ended up in a house because we couldn't none of us could get off the island. Well, the speakers couldn't get off the island. So we were all like kind of left there. And uh planes weren't taken off. And so in the same house were Richard Rohr, N.T. Wright, Brennan Manning, you, me, and the rest of the D-listers who yeah. were in attendance. So there was, what, maybe 15 of us? Yeah, t- uh, 20 right. of us. But that was, that was intentional. That was, it, was, it was the promise. At the end of the event, we were going to do a private retreat. Oh, okay. I can't, I can't remember because but there also was a hurricane that we couldn't get up. There was a hurricane coming too, yeah, right? Yeah, that happened the next day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a perfect ending to a perfect conference. <laughs> man well that's a good that's a good memory but speaking of personality i was um i I was i remember like meeting you and i met on on this little private island and i was asking you who who are you what are you about and you were very demure about this you're like um i'm kind of a frustrated musician wow that's how you introduced yourself and then like over the years i find out like you didn't tell me anything else about you. You didn't tell me that you like you pastored a church or that you you like worked with a foundation or that you wrote books. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, a, a rare moment of modesty on my part. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> well, it worked that time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it was rare. You can. It's, like, it's sort of like sighting the blue-footed booby. You should feel pleased with yeah. yourself. <laughs> Mark, you. You also, uh, you have a wonderful history and um, you're an author, you're a spiritual director, you've written books on practical spirituality, you know, you're, you're kind of a, you know, I kind of put you in that sort of spiritual guru camp, kind of interesting people in the background doing really cool things to help people experience, you know, genuine transformation in Ah, their lives. That's what I want to see happen. Well... You've been committed to it for a while. And of course, you're here on Typology in part two because you use the Enneagram in your work. Yes. Um, we, for about 15 years, we were we ran something here in San Francisco we called a Center for Integral Christian Practice. And we were our kind of mandate was we want to help people apply the wisdom and teachings of Christ to everyday life. And so we couldn't help but stumble onto issues of personality with that work. Like some things about living in reality come easy based on personality and some things are difficult. Like, so a person's formation or discipleship journey is really shaped a lot by personality. And so we kept running into it. And Mm. um, then we, you know, started talking more explicitly about Enneagram and um, how, how that shaped how people developed their practices and experiments and things like that. Yeah. All right, so give me some examples, like because I, I think one of the things that the, one of the questions that I continually wrestle with is this: you know, you put out a book on the Enneagram that's a primer, it's an introduction, it describes type, you know, and it it goes to the basics. But what it what you don't have room to do in a book like that is to really explore. Well, okay, once you know your personality type, what difference does it make? Yeah, you, you know, it 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 really actually doesn't mean anything other than you know perhaps a little drib or drab of some self-knowledge but you know i meet people all the time with very cheerful faces they're like i'm a this or i'm a six or i'm a five and and then i think to myself are you miserable yet because i mean that's sort of what you know 
<laughs> I mean, I hate to, I, I don't want to put too, you know, dark a, a shadow over it, but I mean, you know, the, the using the Enneagram, doing spiritual work. I mean, this is, you're doing some deep shadow jumping. Yeah. Well, and that, so, so a couple things come up for me. One is we, we did a lab for years we called Awake, Awakening Creativity, and we wanted to kind of basically do narrative theology um, using the arts. And so uh, one of our exercises was uh, we'd, we'd talk about false self shadow, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we'd say when you are living unaware of your own dignity and divine presence, what what would you look like? How what what costumes would you wear or props would you bring? And then we hired a photographer, and the next week they'd come and we'd do a photo shoot. And then the following week we'd say, uh, come next week as your true self. If when you're when you're like breathing deep into who you were made to be, aware of divine care and presence, what does that look like? And then we do an art show and post these two portraits right next to each other. And um, as we got more familiar with Enneagram, a lot of the folks who did that exercise, and I have hundreds of these photographs, they weren't aware of their personality type, but just asking that question, they pretty much nailed it. The the points of um, kind of where you go in stress and where you go in growth for their personality type. And it explained a lot about why why each of us had particular struggles. Um, I'll give you an example. For me, um, we we would do another lab we called um, Experiments in Truth. And we'd introduce it with the question, what's one thing you could do in the next 40 days that might change your life forever? Like, where do you mm. feel stuck? What's not working? And what could you do about it? And as part of that process, we'd have people send out a feedback inventory to five to seven people asking them, you know, when do you see me really alive? Um, how do you, what's my best contribution to the world? And then also some harder questions like, what do people say about me when I'm not around that would be good for me to know? Or where do you long for me to experience more wholeness in my life? And I got a response back this is, I'm using this as an example of, what, of how any Enneagram can connect with formation. Um, uh, my best friend wrote back to me and he said, Mark, when we're together, you often talk negatively about other people. Mm-hmm. Um, like mutual friends, public figures, like you're just going out of your way to criticize them. And he said, it makes me unf- feel unsafe with you. And, mm. and I don't tell you everything about myself because I don't trust you. And it was shattering to me because this is one of my closest friends mm. who says he doesn't trust me. And I, I like to think of myself as like this very intuitive, interpersonal person. And the people I think are close to me don't trust me at all. And um, at that time, I was really realizing, well, so that's, a, that's, a, that's kind of a, a surface level problem very embarrassing that yeah you know shameful but i it it led me to ask a deeper question that's why do i do that why do i regularly talk negatively and critically about mutual friends and public figures and when i did a, some of that deeper work i realized well i don't 
I feel very uncertain about who I am and what my identity is. And so a convenient way with dealing with that uncertainty is I, um, I try and knock other people off their pedestals. If I see you praising somebody else too much, let me criticize the person you're praising and knock them down to size. And in a messed up way, somehow I end up feeling a little better about myself mm-hmm. by, le- by lowering every, everyone to my level. And that's deeply rooted in the jealousy or envy that's part of my personality type. Um, yeah, that that's an amazing example uh, on so many levels. Uh, one is I've I've had a similar experience in 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 the last year. A friend of mine, I was I was complaining about something uh, book related, you know, publishing related. I was, I was you know like most authors, I was bitching about my publisher, yeah. right? And and this person's in 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 publishing, <clears throat> and and um, he, this is not a person who's particularly critical, you know. And and he looked at me and he said, you know, Ian, sometimes you blame a lot of people for what's not going right in your life. Yeah. And and I wonder if they actually sh- should own the lion's share for what's not happening yeah. in your world. That you know, you know what I mean? In other words, he was saying, maybe you ought to take a look at you. You yeah. know, like and I, I remember that feeling that you expressed which I just I felt so ashamed because I love this person, right? Yeah. And um but all he was doing was holding up a mirror and I you know to a behavior that he deemed unworthy of me. Mm-hmm. And I, I just remember thinking, who does that for you? And it's not, it's a behavior that's not working for you. No. Like it's sabotaging your relationships and your energy with him, right? Totally. And so I think one of the things the Enneagram does for us, one of its many gifts is, is it provides us opportunity to um, look into the shadow um, I, I read a, a quote this week that sort of blew my brain. It was, uh, what, this is Carl Jung. He says, you know, what you most need to know about yourself can be found in the place you least want to look. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm, yummy. Uh, and what, but, but what he's saying there, right, is, you know, we're just not going to grow unless we're willing to look in the places that you know, are going to create sh- moments of shame, moments of self-reflection that are very uncomfortable. And of course, that's what the Enneagram can help us to do, keeping in mind that on the other side of it is freedom. Yeah. Well, and I think, uh, like, interestingly, almost every time I do an Enneagram teaching time, uh, an Enneagram 7 will say, you know, you can skip all that stuff about false self and shadow and uh, seven deadly sins. Like, there's a hope of like, let's just focus on what's awesome about us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, but the, but I think a compassionate way of looking at that is to say, it's important to do that shadow work because these are, these are distortions of reality that are multiplying misery in us and to those around us. Mm. So if we can start to name it and, and it helps us tame it, you know, um, mm. bring it, bring it out of the shadows into the light where it can be healed and transformed. Okay. So let's say I'm a spiritual directee or I'm somebody that you, that you're meeting with and you're beginning to do this work. Um, how do I do that? Like, I mean, how do I, with the Enneagram as a backdrop, like beyond, you know, just knowing my number, go, oh, yeah, I got, how do I actually begin to do the kind of surgery you're talking about? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, um, I've, a few things um, that that often 
are, are signs of where the work needs to be done. One is just generally the, the kind of negative mental states that I tend to, that a person tends to be in. Uh, an exercise we did for years that we sort of borrowed from Julia Cameron, uh, author of The Artist's Way, was to do some morning pages or daily pages. And we'd, we'd invite people for six weeks, every morning get up and write for two pages. It Just whatever comes out. And um, most of us, when we journal, unless you're like a very disciplined person that journals every day, most of us journal when we're in a funk Mm. and um, when we're kind of undone. And so what we often found is people would start writing in the journal and by about day two or three, they're repeating themselves. Mm. And, and I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I can go back 15, 20 years in my journals, and it's almost the exact same entry as the one I did six months ago. And what that reveals is this is my habitual way of doing self-talk. Hmm. And um, it feels good initially to get it out there, but then you have to look at it a little bit and say, do I like the way I talk to myself? Do I like, mm. is, is this an accurate portrayal of reality? And the magic of doing it for six weeks at a time is that you, by day five or six, you're totally tired of writing the same thing. So you go, I'm going to have to change my script. Can I mm. learn to, to tell a different story um, to see the world in a new way? Mm. I love that notion of tell uh, tell a different story because I I do think when we think narratively about our lives, you realize that you know each of us inhabits a story, um, and very rarely do we ever stop to interrogate whether or not it's true. You know, we're just stuck in it, we're, and yeah. it's a fiction, and it's a fiction. You know, I, I can remember um, a therapist once saying this to me. You know, how do you know that this story that you tell about yourself is actually true? Like, have you ever just stopped to say, you know, like, is that accurate? Is that an accurate portrayal of the world as it is and you as you are? Or are you just rehearsing, you know, ad nauseum, old scripts, old arcane ideas, none of which are true, but are actually driving all your thoughts and your feelings and your behaviors? Yeah. And a lot of times we start with a feeling like on that almost somatic level mm. and then create a story to explain those unconscious like bodily sensations even. Mm. Okay, let's talk about that in terms of the Enneagram because I think that's important. Because um, I do, when I've been teaching, talk a little bit about, um, you know, the sort of the somatic or the body dimension of of type, right? So um, oftentimes, let's say you're a, I don't know, you're a three on the Enneagram and you feel this drive forward to credentialize, you know, or to whatever it is, you're you're just, you feel it, the impulse is driving forward. And to be able to stop and say, okay, where, like I can literally say to a three, where do you feel that in your body? Mm. Like, like while that's happening, what are you feeling? You know, well, I say it's in my chest. I feel like my heart. Okay. So I, I say, well, all right. In that moment, you got a choice. It's like being in the batter's cage. You know what I mean? It's like you can either swing at that pitch when it comes, <laughs> yeah. you know, or you can step out of the box, you know what I mean, and let yeah. the ball go by. Yeah. You know what I mean? And not swing at it. Right. You know? Well, it's like moving. It's moving from sort of unconscious to conscious. 
And so when you start to name those body sensations, you, you're doing what, like what you described. Now I have a choice. Do I want to go with it? Mm -hmm. Or do I, do I want to let it, let, let that experience have been and not let it drive me into habituated behaviors? That is a huge idea. I mean, I think for a lot of people, they don't even know they have a choice or they don't know that they can create a long enough pause in which they can can stop, deliberate for a second or two and, and say, uh, I now, because I live consciously, have freedom to choose another way. Yeah. Let me give you an example of how, so to, to carry on with my envy problem, um, I designed an experiment to help me gain more self-awareness. Mm -hmm. so that I had the opportunity to make a choice. And so my understanding of, of um, how, how we grow and change is that I, ne I need to rehearse different scripts in my mind mm. that live in, that are in greater coherence to reality. Mm -hmm. And I need to do different things in my body that uh, w with my body based on that more clear story or understanding of reality. So, so there's a mental and a, and a physical aspect to it. And our bodies have been habituated, even if we can change the story, if we don't change what we do in our bodies, our bodies have been habituated so that there's a reward structure that happens based on that. So for me, I, first thing I did is this would be called a discipline of abstinence or limit. As I said, for the next 40 days, I'm not going to make any disparaging comments about another human being or myself. And I, mm. and I promised a group of people I'd do that, and I told my family. So they're all supporting me. So several times a day, I want to make disparaging comments about people. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to stop myself. And that, and that gives me the chance to notice, why did I, why did I want to do that? Like, what, what, what knee-jerk thing that I, was going on there? Um, a second thing that I, I realized would be helpful is if I practice something different and that's affirming other people. I think the messed up thought was there's only enough good stuff and uh, affirmation to go around. So if I criticize other people, there's more for me, more affirmation for me. I mean, it doesn't make any oh. sense, but that's, I think, what I was telling myself. So for, for the, those 40 days, I'd get up in the morning and um, after reviewing my commitment, to not say anything disparaging, I would write a letter to someone who I had previously talked bad about. And I didn't tell them that I had been criticizing them because I figured if they didn't already know, this isn't going to help them either. But just a, what I'm grateful for about them, where I see goodness at work in their life. So it helped. That was kind of maybe a relational um, aspect of this. But then I realized. Um, that doesn't address my script. Like those are things, different things I could do with my mouth, different things I could do with my fingers on a keyboard. But I'm, but I still have a distorted script in my head that says, I don't know who I am and I have a diminished sense of self. And so I made my practice for those 40 days to um, get up early. And I, I really like that place that um, where, these words are spoken over Jesus at his baptism. Mm. And I think that it's what he needed to hear before he went into the wilderness. Mm. Um, 
you're my you're my child i love you and with you i'm well pleased and i just sort of internalized like personalized that and i would walk around in a park early in the morning and say i'm your child you love me with me you're well pleased to to try and work on my script about myself i am loved i am connected to eternal parent and eternal parent delights in me so I don't have to criticize or compare in order to feel okay about myself. Mm. I had a, uh, a, a sort of a Rob Bell once in a conversation with Rob, we got talking about, you know, the prodigal, the son. And, and he said, you know, I always want to get up in, a, in a, a pulpit and just repeat over and over again. You know, you have always been with me and everything I have is yours. And so for about a month, I did that. Every day, as sort of a mantra, I would just throughout the day, just, you know, repeat the words, you know, you have always been with me and everything I have is yours. You know what I mean? And just, I would just sort of soak that, that try and soak that truth in as best I, I knew how. And I, I do think it moved the needle in, yeah. internally and began to rewind you know, old messages and at least challenge them in a way that, that uh, gave them pause. Yeah. You know, Mark, back to you. I want to talk to you about intentionality because that's the word that keeps coming back to me as you're talking. You are, you are so deliberate. I mean, you're, you're someone who's, you know, you're thinking, okay, I got this Enneagram tool. I've got these, these other practices at, at my disposal. And, uh, but I have to make a very deliberate, calculated, decision to actually do something about about it in other words what am i going to do not you know let it wash around inside the head forever but what am i going to do to grow yeah yeah and i th i think one one of those one of the questions is well let me back up and say this um we when i teach on enneagram i i like to you know i spend a couple hours kind of talking through dynamics and types and then and I tell a couple stories about my kind of efforts at intentionality. And then we'll work through a process together of developing a personal transformation experiment that they can go home with and try out. And um, I'm not saying one experiment solves all the issues of our personalities or, you know, gets us in full, uh, full growth and wholeness mode. But I, the way I see it is I, I'm doing a series of experiments over my lifetime trying to help move my mind and body back towards what's most real from mm. the, from the distortions that have have created difficulty for me and in my relationships so um so we i try to simplify this into kind of a couple step process one is we do some examine uh what are uh examine your life where do you feel stuck what's not working and we invite people to kind of journal about that um what are the habits or temptations that lead you to self-sabotage? Where do you experience tension in your relationships? That can be a sign of where you're stuck. Um, or where do those closest to you express concern for you? Um, and then from there, ask, uh, explore what might be more of, uh, what, are, what are the patterns and the root causes? How might this presenting problem be related to an issue of a core fear um, that I have or a core issue of personality. And most people are able to make some, make some sort of tentative connections there. Um, and then 
this is a key, a key step. Step three is imagine the life that's possible. Mm. What would, what would greater wholeness or freedom look like for me? Um, what, what is the good reality or, um, or vision of life that is possible for me? You know, is there some, is it, is there something different and more balanced that I could tell myself about this situation? So, so for instance, for my stuff with, with envy and jealousy, it's actually, I, I am a person of dignity and worth. I have connection to creator and it's not something that I have to earn or achieve external. It's inherent, you know, and I, I struggle to believe that, but I think that's the most accurate assessment of the situation. Mm. And each of the types, we have particular things we tell ourselves, you know, I can only feel good about myself by what I achieve or I can never know enough to feel competent and secure. Yeah. Let's go through all of them. Let's go through the nine types and let what, and you can just sort of articulate those for us. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I, uh, may, you can, you can maybe help me out, but you know, I think the one would say you're, you're, you're on your own, bro. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, did, didn't you write a book about this? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to step out actually just for a minute. You just keep going. <laughs> uh, the, the one would say, um, you know, I need, I need to be perfect. I'm not doing enough. Could I do, could I, could, could I reform myself a little bit better and, and get other people acting better around me? And I think the message to them is like our sense of worth isn't based on achieving a certain standard. Um, like grace and mercy make the world go round, not my ability to live up to a standard. So, mm. um, that's, that's the deeper reality. Uh, twos, you know, it's all about um, enduring myself to others and being helpful. And, uh, you know, I, I have particular empathy for twos because it's that it comes from that sense that that I, I don't have worth unless I can see the effect that I have on other and connection I have on other people. So mm. learning to believe I am a person of worth, um, not based on my role with other people, but based on who I am. And it's so, and it's inside of whatever's, whatever's central to my, to my, my blessedness and givenness is already here. Mm. Um, you're, you're hearing some overlaps between obviously between three, uh, two, three, and four, cause we're mm -hmm. in that, in, in that similar triad. So the message, mm -hmm. the, the, the redemptive message, I think tends to be quite similar. Mm -hmm. deal you know because it's questions of ego and esteem who am i who am i and and what do people think about me um four i think i've said i've already said on that when you get into five six seven it's what do i deal with fear you know how do i deal with with fear is is this a safe world to live in am i am i gonna have the resources that i need so i think the five is looking to get more knowledge and resources and the, the redemptive message is you, you don't, you, whatever is needed is here mm -hmm. and it, and you don't need more information or more time alone to, to get what's essential. Mm -hmm. You'll have the energy you need to show up in your relationships, to step out with your activities. Um, a six somewhat similarly, you know, um, uncertainty about my decisions and um, 
looking at external forces that in ways that make us make make us afraid. And so I think the very powerful message: there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts mm. out all fear, and um, we can live in the reality of hope, and that there's uh, there's uh, a presence with us that can be with us through whatever we experience in life. We're not mm. without safety or support. Powerful. And what about those? Uh, let's move to that anger triad, like eight nines and one. Yeah. Um, I think, well, and you know, there's nuances we can say about the sevens. Don't want to leave them out, but it's, oh, yes, of course. Um, but I can be here with, with the ambiguities of my feelings and, um, and that, that, I, that, that, um, that now in the present and not just in the future is the goodness, um, and comfort I desire. Um, mm-hmm. eight, nine, one, um, you know, it's about, there's a, it's about control. And so um, I think for the eight, the redemptive message, well, the, the message you tell yourself is I need to dominate other people so that I don't, I'm not taken advantage of. And I think the redemptive message would be something like, um, I'm actually not always in control and I, I have vulnerabilities and I can trust that uh, that if I if I'm if I can be real about those vulnerabilities, the they will be held, and I'm in this together with other people. You know, mm. there's some there's a there's a source greater than myself caring for me, and competent to care for me. Mm. Uh, for nines, um, it's the message. I think the redemptive. You know, the the false self message says, I need to pull away where it's safe. And, um, and the redemptive message that co- contradicts that is to say, you are a very powerful being. Mm. Um, y- your, your, your choices and your actions matter. You can step up and use that power. And it's not, it's going to lead to good things. It's not going to lead to just a conflict. <laughs> mm. Right, right. All right, how about once? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I touched on it a little bit already, but but I think that grace, the message of grace is really important for one. Right, right. Um, it's okay. It's okay to relax and and be at ease. You can be at ease. You don't have to live with clenched fists. Mm, that's really good. I hope you have enjoyed part one of our two-part series with Mark Scandrett as much as I have. Be sure and tune in next week to hear part two of this two-part conversation. And until then, I'm Anthony Skinner, producer of Typology. Grace and peace. Peace.